welcome to this week's edition of Worcester's Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News and recorded on Thursday the 8th of December. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week we welcome our engineer Brian Wheelwright back and round the table with me are Ian Rowe, Audrey Luxton and Sally Rowe. As you know, this is a free service. We do thank those who have uh, kindly sent us donations, however, but it is a free service. We do welcome your feedback via a note in your wallet, a message on the answer phone, which is 01905 767766, or a note to us here at Colin Chance House in Wilds Lane, Worcester. What you will hear are stories from the past week published in our local paper. The headlines, sunrise and sunset times, the obituaries, thought for the week. We'll open the birthday book and look at what's on in the local theatres and also give you some important telephone numbers. And in fact, we're going to start with Audrey to give us some telephone numbers. Thank you. I'll repeat our number here at Colin Chance House. 01905 Seven six seven seven six six. Crime Stoppers are O eight hundred five 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 one one one. Worcester Live is O one nine O five six one one four two seven. The Malvern Theatres are O one six eight four eight nine two two seven seven. For out of hours medical service, you ring 111. For a non emergency call to the police, it's 101. Thank you, Audrey. And now Sally is going to tell us uh, what's on. It's almost Christmas, so Sally, what do the local theatres have to offer? Well, there's a lot of different things a lot of musical events, um, a lot of festive events. Um, starting in Malvern, um, on Saturday there is the last night of the musical comedy Sister Act at Malvern Theatre. That's starting at 7.30. Then on um, Saturday the 10th is also a concert in one of the churches, um, Christmas by Candlelight, with Linda Tolchard at Christchurch Avenue Road, Malvern. And those tickets are also available at the Malvern Theatre box office. That's a 7.30 start as well, £15. Then on Monday, there's Kate Rusby, who's live in concert at the Malvern Theatre, uh, 7.45. Then on Wednesday the 14th, Jason Donovan is doing 10 Good Reasons and Greatest Hits, his Christmas tour. Also in Malvern, that's at 7.45 on Wednesday the 14th. Then Thursday the 15th, Seth Lakeman, featuring Wildwood Kin, is playing Ballads of the Broken Few. That's at 7.45 in Malvern. And then Beyond the Barricade at Christmas... Songs from the Greatest Musicals in Concerts is Friday the 16th of December at 7.45. So that's what's happening in Malvern. In the 
cathedral, in Worcester Cathedral, um, this Saturday, the 10th, Worcester Festival Choral Society hopes that 150 voices will be more than enough for a truly rousing rendition of one of the world's best-known choral works, which includes the famous Alleluia Chorus. Uh, Tickets and further details are available on 01905 611 427 and tickets may be available on the door but subject to availability. So that's this Saturday and then next Saturday the 17th of December at Worcester Cathedral there is a concert of Christmas songs. The choirs of Worcester Cathedral and Worcester Festival Choral Society will sing on the day directed by Mr by Dr Peter Nadone and the tickets there cost between 5 pounds and 20 pounds um same number at that's Worcester Live box office. So that's in the cathedral. Then we've also got an array of different musical events at Huntingdon Hall. So on Saturday the 10th at 7:30 there is the Malvern Hills District Brass Band with mistletoe and music. Light-hearted evening of music and songs, mostly with a Christmas feel. Then on Tuesday the 13th at the Huntingdon Hall is the Melstock Band performing Christmas in Melstock, caroling rounds and Christmas revelry in Hardy's Wessex. Then on Wednesday the 14th, also in Huntingdon Hall, is the Orchestra of the Swan, Bark Doubled. Um, There's a pre-concert talk at 6.30 and the concert starts at 7.30. And there's a variety of music, Vivaldi, Concerto in D, and also some Corelli, Concerto for Violin and Oboe, Christmas Concerto. And then on Thursday the 15th, a Victorian Music Hall, Christmas celebration at 8 o'clock. Swan and Dyer's Winter Warmer is a fun-filled festive evening of well-known sing-along Christmas carols interspersed with musical hall, music hall numbers. And that's also at the Huntingdon Hall. And then on to the Friday, the 16th at 8 o'clock, there is T-Rexmas with T-Rextasy. With a career now spanning over 20 years, T-Rextasy is now accepted as the world's only officially endorsed live tribute band dedicated to Mark Boland and T-Rex. And then on Saturday the 17th at the Huntingdon Hall is the Searchers Annual Christmas Special. That's at 7.30, Legends from an Era that Transformed Entertainment History Forever. The searchers return to the Huntingdon Hall, one of their favourite venues, for the ninth year running. And that is a Christmas special. And then finally, on the Sunday, the 18th, is the Astoria String Quartet. They have a family Christmas concert at three o'clock. Let the Astoria String Quartet and the narrator Gemma Martin-Smith whisk you away for an afternoon of magical and musical adventures. The Christmas treat lasts approximately one hour and tells the the enchanting tales of Aladdin and the night before Christmas. So that's a family show. So a huge variety of different things, if you want to get out, to choose from. 
Thank you, Sally. Well, quite a selection there, as you say. Um, right, we now have the announcements of those who have sadly passed away um, in recent weeks. Um, this funeral will have already taken place, and it's Arthur William Gibbons, who passed away on November the 14th. His funeral service will have taken place on December the 9th. Um, donations, if required, if desired, sorry, for CORE, C-O-R-E, I'm not sure what that stands for, actually, um, can be sent to E.J. Gumry and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Still to take place. David John Lumsden passed away November 22nd. Funeral service at St Stephen's Church, Droitwich Road, uh, WR3 78HS on Monday, December the 12th at 12.45pm, followed by cremation at Worcester Crematorium at 1.45pm. It's requested bright colours be worn. Donations in lieu of flowers for St Richard's Hospice, um, can be left in the box or sent to um, <clears throat> Bedwardine Funeral Services, 1 St John's Worcester, WR2 5AE. Ruby Campbell of Bilford Road passed away November 16th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday, November, December the 13th at 11.30am. Uh, donations for Cancer Research UK can be sent to care of RL Re, REA Funeral Directors Limited 17 Rock Hill Bromsgrove B617LL and um, phone number is, is for that is 01527831723 Sarita Joy Kitchener passed away November 25th Funeral service on Tuesday, December the 13th at 11.30am at uh, St Peter and St Paul Church, Upton on Seven, followed by a burial in Upton upon Seven Cemetery. Um, donations for the Haematology Unit Trust Fund can be sent to care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Details as before. Um, Peter William Sheehan of Worcester passed away November 24th uh, funeral service at St Martin's Church London Road on December the 14th at 12 noon followed by private cremation uh, donations for the Alzheimer's Society um, can be sent to Philip Tomlins funeral directors 36 The Lees L-E-Y-S Evesham W-R-11 3-A-P and their phone number is 01386 765133. <clears throat> Leslie John George passed away November 21st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 14th at 11.30am. Donations for Macmillan nurses can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. Richard Thomas Summers, known as Dick, passed away November 26th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 15th at 12.15pm. It's requested colours and not black be worn. Donations for the British Heart Foundation can be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Details as before. 
Brenda Lawton of Knoll Court passed away November the 20th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 15th at 11.30am. Donations for the Salvation Army can be left on the plate or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Details as before. Floss Davis passed away November 26th in her 102nd year. Memorial service to take place at Bromyard Road Methodist Church on Thursday, December the 15th at 1.30pm, followed by a service at Worcester Crematorium at 2.30pm. Donations for cancer research, care of Bedwardine funeral services um, and the families requested no black horn. David Andrew Price um, passed away the 29th of November, a member of Tolodyne Golf Club for many years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 20th at 2.30pm. Donations in lieu of flowers to St Richard's Hospice. Inquiries to George Crump and Son Funeral Directors, that's Droitwich, and it's 01905 Carmine DeVito passed away on December the 4th. Requiem Mass at St George's Catholic Church, Wednesday, December the 21st at 12 noon, followed by burial at Astwood Cemetery. Um, donations, if desired, for Messenger of St Anthony may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Details as before. Our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently and particularly anyone who has lost a loved one at this time of year. <clears throat> the thought for the day is taken from St Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not to be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Ian is now going to open the birthday book. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and there are three birthdays to announce this week. Uh, many happy returns go to Frances Dodds, who celebrated her birthday yesterday on the 7th of December. And today, uh, many happy returns go to Sandra Wood and to Florence uh, Evans. Uh, we hope that they all ha you have all had very happy uh, celebrations. Um, and now moving on to the week's headlines. Is this city Christmas tree the worst in Britain? You idiots. <laughs> Council spends £5 million on layoffs. Still phoning and driving. Superstar Olly Murs in city gig. Boy 11 knocked off bike in crash. And finally, we have the sunrise, which is currently at 8.05 a.m. Uh, and sunset at the early hour of 3.56 p.m. Thank you. And with the first of the headline stories is Audrey. Is this Britain's worst Christmas tree? 
That is the dubious verdict being given by many on this year's festive effort on the St John's Roundabout in Worcester. Despite it being the season of goodwill, angry complaints have been flooding into the Worcester news since the tree was put up about two weeks ago. The wonky fairy lights, which come to an abrupt stop three quarters up the branches, people have branded it pathetic, frankly embarrassing and absolutely appalling. Worcester City Council says it's having urgent discussions with its supplier and will be adding more fairy lights soon. A spokesman said, There are clearly not enough lights on the Christmas tree at St John's Roundabout. We're expecting more lights to be placed on the tree in the very near future. One of the very first to complain was Mike Hughes, who said, Wow, Worcester Worcester City Council, you pulled it out of the bag this year for St John's. Worst tree in Britain. Another reader called, replied calling it frankly embarrassing. While Gary Matthews wondered, has the council cuts affected the length of their ladders? The Christmas tree on Boring Island in St John's seems to have the lights only three quarters of the way up. Looks pathetic. Tracy Franklin asked, what's going on with the Christmas tree in St John's? Only half the tree has lights on and there's nothing on the top of the tree. Kate Holyoke shared a picture of the tree and wrote, just thought I'd share the St John's Christmas tree with you all. A little sad looking, don't you think? Lights don't reach the top and they look rather dumped on there. Ali Draper messaged to say, I would like to congratulate the council on putting zero effort, as usual, into the Xmas tree lights on the island by the Boring in St John's. This message took more effort. Couldn't be bothered to get them to the top. However, Steve Davis defended the tree. What would you rather your taxpayers' money were spent on? Massive elaborate illuminations or put back into worthwhile causes in your community? We spend or indeed waste too much money on unnecessary Christmas lights. I'd rather the council use whatever money it takes to put them up, take down, maintain and replace these Christmas lights that get vandalised and to put the money back into helping the homeless, elderly people and poorer people in council houses with heating and food over the winter months. Matt Ely pointed out that it was better than last year's tree, which had lights missing down one side. Lundering Highways workers have repainted Keep Clear signs along the side of Worcester's old fire station, despite the fact that the site being, has been empty for more than a year. The bungling officials have been described as blithering idiots by a bemused Worcester councillor who says the public will find it incredible. Worcestershire County Council, which has a deal with contractor Ringway for repainting fading lines, has called the situation unfortunate. In May last year, fire crews finally moved from their old Copenhagen Street headquarters to a new base off Tolladyne Road, making their well-known landmark of 70 years redundant. The building, which is seen by thousands of drivers every day heading past Deansway, has since been sold to developers under a multi-million pound deal. The old Keep Clear signs were designed to stop drivers blocking the path of fire engines roaring out the side of the building. 
They had become worn out in recent years, but have now, inexplicably, have been given a complete repainting. Worcestershire County Council has called the project unfortunate and says the work was done by contractors who will now not pass on a bill. But Councillor Simon Cronin said, I walked through Copenhagen Street and couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. Some blithering idiots have repainted all the signs so you can now see very clearly, keep clear all the way along in white paint. Have these people really got nothing better to do than keep, keep access clear to an empty building? It's also someone sat in an office who hasn't got a view of the world past the outside of their own window can say that they have achieved something that day. It speaks volumes of the people running these services and their imagination. What a complete waste of time. Council bosses say they have agreed a system to get lines repainted quicker than before. John Fraser, head of highways at the County Council, said, The deal we've got with Ringway is a system where, if white lines are faded, rather than wait until it causes problems, they go and do the job there and then. Lots of really good white line replacement programmes have been done in Worcester City through this procedure. It actually works very well. What's happened here is that someone has seen the lines fading and has done them again. Because it's at the side of the old fire station, you could argue it's not needed. It is unfortunate. There won't be a bill for the work. But generally, as a whole, the current system is very efficient and works well. More than £5 million of taxpayers' cash has been spent handing Worcestershire County workers redundancy notices over the last three years. A Worcester News Freedom of Information request has highlighted the massive bill, with record sums dished out to show people the door. It reveals how there were 512 redundancies at Worcestershire County Council, with the majority, 314, compulsory. The payouts over the last three financial years up to the end of March this year totaled £5.2 million, the equivalent of paying every single person £10,100 to leave. We can also reveal how 1,761 people have left the council since 2013, with the workforce shrinking to its smallest ever. The authority is now 31% smaller than it was then, with 5,549 non-school staff. The figures have been described as incredible by the opposition Labour group, which has called for a root and branch review of the future of council services. But the Conservative leadership says the mass departures mean the wage bill is £22 million less expensive. In 2014, the Council voted through a controversial new operating model, which has been driving the change. Based on commissioning up to 85% of services by 2018 and the loss of around 1,500 in-house jobs, it appears to be ahead of expectations. Bosses at County Hall say other than redundancies, the bulk of the rest of the roles have gone by services being transferred to other employers, often taking staff with them, and non-replacement. But they have refused to estimate the future size of the workforce, only saying that by 2022, many more roles will be shared by other organisations. Councillor Peter MacDonald, Labour Group leader, said... 
You cannot talk about savings when you spent £5 million on redundancies. Think of what we could have done with that money. It's disgraceful. We are paying more in council tax, but it's now going to the pockets of privateers. This obsession with getting rid of workers has cost us dearly. We've lost jobs that has harmed the economy and it's harmed our services. But Councillor Andy Roberts, Cabinet Member for Transformation and Commissioning, said, The £5 million is a one-off cost which is saving the Worcestershire taxpayer £22 million each year. Over the last three years, this organisation has saved £66 million. We have reshaped the way we do things. Vacancy management has been part of this process, as has been the transfer of jobs from the public sector to a range of partners that are contributing to Worcestershire's economy. Hundreds of drivers are continuing to use their mobile phone at the wheel, despite a hard-hitting police crackdown. The Worcester News can reveal that 200 drivers in South Worcestershire were stopped by police for using their phone at the wheel during the crackdown in November. The figures obtained through a Freedom of Information request by the Worcester News reveal that more than 600 drivers have been caught using their phones at the wheel in South Worcestershire since the start of the year. The data shows that between January the 1st and November the 1st, 430 drivers have been stopped by police while they were using their phones at the wheel. Of those, just seven have been prosecuted, with 249 having to complete retraining courses and 38 handed fixed penalty notices. No further action was taken against 26 drivers while 110 are still waiting to find out their punishment. The FOI data also reveals that four crashes in South Worcestershire this year have potentially been caused by drivers using their mobiles. The penalty for using a mobile phone while driving is currently a £100 fine and three penalty points. But the government has announced, uh, has proposed tougher penalties of six penalty points and a £200 fine, with the changes expected to take effect in the first half of 2017. Kevin Purcell, Worcester's police superintendent, says that the figures show that people using their mobiles at the wheel will be caught. As As can be seen from the figures, South Worcestershire police are regularly stopping people who are using their mobile mobile phones or other devices while driving, he said. We know it's often tempting when calls, messages and texts are arriving to pick up the phone, particularly when in slowed moving traffic. We would encourage all drivers to think about the potential dangers to themselves and other road users if they do become distracted. A recent report on motoring by the RAC suggests the number of drivers who illegally use mobile phones while at the wheel is rising. More than 1,700 motorists were surveyed and 31% said they had used a handheld phone behind the wheel compared with just 8% in 2014. The number of drivers who said they'd sent a message or posted on social media while at the wheel has risen from 7% to 
to 19%, while 14% admitted taking a photograph or video while they were driving. After November's crackdown on using mobile phones at the wheel, drink drivers are now being targeted by police officers over the festive season. The West Mercia Police Safer Roads Transport uh, Safer Roads Partnership will increase patrols round Worcester to catch drivers who get behind the wheel after drinking or taking drugs. The clampdown is part of a month-long winter drink drive campaign which began on Thursday and is led by the National Police Chiefs Council, the NPCC. Superstar singer Ollie Murs will perform an open-air concert in Worcester next summer. The pop star, famed for tracks such as Troublemaker and Wrapped Up, will play at Worcestershire County Cricket Club in New Road on Sunday, June the 25th. Tickets priced at £45 went on sale for the show at New Road at 9am on Tuesday. The gig forms part of his 22-date summer tour 2017, which will see him visit outdoor venues around the UK. The celebrity, who rose to fame on The X Factor in 2009, said, I am thrilled to play outdoors at Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Outdoor shows are so much fun and I'm looking forward to performing my biggest songs in my biggest outdoor tour. Adoring fans took to social media to share their excitement at the news. Jodie Griffin, posting on the Worcester News Facebook page, said, I've just booked tickets. Excited. And Vicky Hill said, It's like someone heard my prayers last night. Ollie Moores is the second big-name pop star lined up to perform in the city next year. After it was announced that multi-platinum artist Brian Adams will play the Worcester Warriors six-way stadium in July. John Graham, managing director of the Cricket Club, said, We are delighted that an artist of the stature of Ollie Moores is coming to New Road in 2017. It is a major coup for the club. To get the opportunity to stage a concert involving the current number one selling artist, someone who is incredibly popular and an unbelievable showman, is brilliant news and amazing profile for our ever-growing events side of the business. This year, the 32-year-old scooped his fourth number one album titled 24 Hours, making him the most successful solo artist to come from The X Factor. During his career, he has released four number one singles and has sold more than 10 million records. Liz Dogan-Hobbs, Chief Executive Officer of LHG Live, the promoter, said, We are delighted to be working with Ollie Moores on his UK summer tour. Ollie is one of the best male solo artists in the UK and the perfect artist for our venues. We expect each show to have a great party atmosphere and look forward to hearing his most popular hits. For ticket information, visit wccc.co.uk. Worcester's music scene is set to get a big boost with news with Ollie Moores and Brian Adams playing at the sports arenas during the summer and more big-name acts may be on their way in the future. Bosses at Sixway Stadium, which is hosting Brian Adams, say that the plan is for the venue to become a major events destination. And Worcestershire County Cricket Ground in New Road also says it would love to host more high-profile musicians in the future, 
as long as they are financially viable. Ryan Bezanut, general manager at Six Ways, said, The artificial grass pitch we installed in the summer means we are now able to host live concerts and these events will be a key part of our business strategy. Meanwhile, a spokesman for the WCCC said our vision is not only to host more live music, but provide live events that extend beyond cricket, such as outdoor cinema events. Our overriding objective with any of our events is to make a profit to invest back into cricket, which is primary, primarily why we are here. <clears throat> a young cyclist was taken to hospital with a head injury and broken leg after being knocked off his bike in a crash. An ambulance took the 11-year-old to Worcestershire Royal Hospital after the crash in Astwood Road on Wednesday. It is believed the boy was on a BMX or stunt-style bike and was not wearing a helmet when the crash happened at 8.11am. Crash investigations are now underway. A learner driver was behind the wheel of a white Seat Ibiza involved in the collision. PC Diane Stevens, a Rhodes policing officer, said the boy had a head injury and broken leg. She is appealing for anyone who witnessed the incident to contact West Mercia Police. PC Stevens said, We cannot stress enough the importance of wear wearing a helmet. They can save lives. She described the learner driver as very shaken by what happened, but hoped she would be able to continue as soon as possible with her lessons. Father of three, Paul Taylor, 45, of Field Road, was one of the first on the scene, bringing out three blankets to keep the boy warm. Mr Taylor said he was conscious, he was talking. He had a very nasty head injury over his eye. It was very swollen, almost the size of a tennis ball. I opened the back door, heard a loud bang and came running out. He was lying on the ground. He said although there was a visible injury to his leg between the pelvis and the knee, he was more worried about his head. He wasn't wearing a helmet, said Mr Taylor. He said two off-duty nurses helped. Jazz Seiko, owner of Premier Aswood Convenience, said he was on a BMX bike. It was one of those stunt-type things. A young lad came in and said there had been an accident. He was just lying on the floor and not moving. I called 999. A man directed traffic until police arrived and closed the road. He added, there are crashes on this road all, all the time. There's probably a crash every six weeks and I've been here four years. There has to be more done to make it safe. The only way they're going to act is if there's a fatality. It's a disgrace. West Midlands Ambulance Service was called at 8.14am and sent one ambulance to the scene at the junction between Field Road and Astwood Road. Police closed Astwood Road but opened it again at 10.55am. The ambulance service say the boy was fully conscious and condition not thought to be serious. Those who witnessed the crash are asked to contact PC Diane Stevens at West Mercy Police on 101 quoting incident reference 83S071316. The closure of Astwood Road did cause considerable traffic congestion throughout the morning. And that finishes the headline stories this week. So I'm going to 
go over to Ian, who I think has some sports news. Yes, indeed. Uh, Firstly, football. (coughs) Manager Carl Healy believes Worcester City were incredibly unlucky not to snatch a point after they were edged out 2-1 by leaders AFC Fylde. A brace from Danny Rowe six minutes before the break proved to be enough for the visitors, who moved seven points clear at the top of the Vanarama National League North. However, Healy felt 13th place City were the better side for large periods at the Victoria ground, having put pressure on Fylde after Kieran Keane scored from a free kick on 54 minutes. They also missed a glorious chance to deny the Lancashire side all three points when Colby Bishop failed to capitalise on a mistake from defender Josh Langley. I thought we were incredibly lucky not to get something from the game, said Healy. For large periods of it, we were the better side and had the better chances. We just got caught with two sucker punches. We could have rolled over, but we had... A right good go in the second half, got ourselves back in the game and we have had a glorious chance to get ourselves back on level terms, so I can't ask for much more from them. We have competed with the best team in the league and they, filed, will go home feeling very fortunate to get the three points. But Healy admitted his side missed the calibre of veteran striker Lee Hughes who was ruled out with a knee injury sustained in training. We had the impetus and I thought we had some decent situations, but again the final ball at times was lacking a little and we maybe made the wrong decision, he continued. Colby had a great chance from a slip from the centre half, but their keeper has come out and smothered well. If Lee had that opportunity, he would probably have scored, but he turned his knee in training, which was a bit of a blow. Colby is a totally different player. He is a young lad who is still learning his trade. He is going to have situations where he is not going to be clinical, but I thought he worked very hard for us. It was tight. There was not much in it, and I thought we were very unfortunate not to get something. Fard's potent stroke of row was largely quiet, but still took his tally up to 30 goals in 20 league games. He opened the scoring on 39 minutes with a 20-yard strike before scoring a fortuitous second on the stroke of half-time when he was in the right place to bundle the ball home after Ethan Ross pulled off a stunning save. Danny probably had three kicks in the game, but that's all you need when you can finish like that, added Healy, who described Rowe as the best player in the division by a country mile. The second one was slightly fortuitous with the way it dropped to him, but for the first one he does that week in, week out. He is a goal scorer, so it doesn't matter how much influence you have on the game if you keep scoring like that two or three every week. A long-awaited project to protect a busy road in Worcester from flooding is, is going on display to the public. Worcestershire County Council will unveil its scheme for raising new road, saying it promises to offer the best arterial route, its best, uh, the busy arterial route, its best chance yet of beating the tide. Back in 2014, the road became impassable after the main city bridge closed, 
with a temporary shuttle bus being used to ferry people across from St John's. Because of its location overlooking the River Severn, New Road has always been vulnerable to floods, including the cricket ground. Back in September, we revealed how County Hall intended to press ahead with the scheme next year, with the three-lane carriageway due to be raised. An exhibition was shown at the Hive Library. Bosses say that if a planning application is approved, the work is expected to take place around September 2017 and be complete by next winter. Christian Bird, project manager, said, While we can never predict how much water there will be, this scheme will keep the road open for longer during flooding and it will alleviate some of the problems faced by people trying to get in and out of the city. We are aiming to keep people moving without the need for the shuttle buses that we've had to use in the past and to ensure that Worcester stays open for business. The cash for the revamp is coming from a £700,000 government grant which was handed to Worcestershire's local enterprise partnership known as the LEP as part of a blueprint to help the economy. The 2007 floods in Worcestershire saw 4,500 properties across the county damaged and after that £12.5 million was pumped into the new defences including Worcester's Hilton Road Bund. The last serious event was then in February 2014 when just 163 properties were affected. But New Road often comes off worse than other parts of the city due to its proximity to the river. Councillor Richard Udall, who represents St John's, has called for measures to ensure traffic moves while the work takes place, saying it already suffers from congestion. Some people living nearby also say they want bosses to ensure current traffic levels are taken into account. John Neville, age 51, of St John said, I can take the short-term pain for a gain in the long run because when the road floods and it gets shut off, it's a nightmare. I know the work needs to be done, but it can't take forever. Worcester's crumbling Sansom Walk swimming pool is facing imminent demolition, bringing the end of an era after decades of history. Worcester City Council has announced how it intends to knock the building to the ground early next year, bringing an end to more than 160 years of swimming at the site. Jubilant campaigners are also celebrating after plans were revealed to sell the land off for housing. With previous suggestions, it could become a car park, now dead in the water. The city's Labour leadership is giving up the chance to turn the site into a money-spinning parking facility after residents who feared traffic chaos mounted serious opposition. Instead, bosses say they will investigate how the land can be developed to accommodate new housing with hopes a sale can bring £500,000 into the coffers. The Labour Cabinet is meeting on Tuesday to approve the demolition plan which will follow soon after the doors close in January. In the time being, the doors closing and it being knocked down, the council says it will also fund security at the site to keep vandals out amid concerns it could be a magnet for trouble. 
It means the pool, which opened in April 1972, now faces its end after 45 years of service to the city. Sarah Markwell, 71, of Tennis Walk Arboretum, said, It's been here for a long time and many people will be sad to see it go. But progress has to be made. People have loved this pool. Entire generations did. Paul Broham, Vice Chairman of Arboretum Residents Association, said, For us, it's very good news. They're looking at housing. We've been putting a lot of pressure on the council. The problem with the car park was people would all drive around it looking for a free space. We don't need the traffic and we don't need our spaces taken. A report for the Cabinet says if left empty, Sanson Walk Pool could become a target for vandalism, theft and fire as well as trespasses at risk of falling from a height. It will shut once the new £10.5 million Perdiswell Swimming Pool opens on Saturday, January the 7th. Councillor Joy Squires, the council's deputy leader, said, After 45 years, it will be sad to see the end of Sanson Walk, but the new Perdiswell Pool will bring fantastic new facilities for the swimmers of all abilities. Now we need to focus on making Sanson Walk sites safe and look to its longer-term future. So I hope Cabinet members will support these recommendations. The housing options could include selling it to a, de to a developer, leasing the land or the council entering into a joint venture with a third party. It happened, it opened in a blaze of glory back in April 1972. Officially titled Worcester Swimming Pool, the current facility at Sansom Walk replaced a previous pool which had stood on the same site for 117 long years. The 1970s development had an incredible impact on the city with just about every man, woman and child flocking to it. The grown-ups paying 15p and children just 8p. But remarkably, swimming has been offered at the same site since at least the mid-19th century. In 1852, a private businessman called Barnabas Lett opened a swimming pool facility which was sold on to other investors before being bought by William Park and given the title Park's Hydro Baths. The Park family, who acquired it in 1890, went on to keep it until the council took over in 1946, with the facility known as Park's Puddle by residents even long after the takeover. In the 1980s, it fell into the doldrums and it was seen as cold, dark and dingy. But a £45,000 makeover and aggressive marketing led to a revival. In its heyday, visitors' numbers at the current Sansom Walk pool topped 400,000 a year. People in Worcester were startled by loud bangs from a fireworks display, which was held um, in the afternoon to celebrate the 475th anniversary of the King's School in Worcester. Um, and that was actually on Wednesday. Residents from across the city reported hearing the loud bangs, which began at 4.30pm and lasted for around 10 minutes. Pet owners said their animals were terrified by the unexpected noise, while many criticised the volume of the bangs. However, many enjoyed the spectacular show, which could be seen around the city, with one resident describing the fireworks as a lovely treat. 
The King's School has apologised to anyone distressed by the noise and said it was never our intention to upset any residents. Kerry Bass, aged 36, lives in Coma Road and said her three pet dogs turned themselves inside out with fear at the sound. She said, my dogs started barking. It kept going on. I went outside and found my next door neighbours were out on the street. It was very, very loud. Around November, you kind of get used to it, but in December, you do not expect this amount of noise. Worcester News readers took to Facebook to express their surprise at the noise, with some claiming they could hear them in Droitwich and Pershaw. Kel Thomas said, Oh, I thought we were being invaded. My house is shaking. They didn't sound like fireworks. Guess I can come out from under the table then. But Kerry Horn said, We live in Barbourne and had a great view. My children and I thought they were a lovely treat and my cat couldn't care less. Jenny Watkins said, well, it didn't bother me or our cat. Tom Guest added, fantastic firework display to mark the school's 475th anniversary. The display was held on a field at the King's School and was watched by students, parents, staff and onlookers. Russ Mason, Director of Marketing and Communications at the school, said, From our point of view, it was a culmination of a wonderful day of celebration, marking the 475th anniversary of the re-foundation of the King's School. It was a magnificent firework display from our own fields, which could be viewed across the city. If the noise upset anyone, we are very, very sorry. King's is always keen to work with the local community, and hopefully the vast majority would have enjoyed what was quite magnificent. Students and staff at the school have celebrated the anniversary in a number of ways, including themed lessons and short story writing in 475 words. <clears throat> a special peal of bells was rung from Worcester Cathedral shortly after, the firework, after which the firework display began. Uh, returning to sport, this time uh, some rugby. Uh, Worcester Warriors could not turn their second-half dominance into points as they crashed to a 26-12 Aviva Premiership derby defeat against Wasps at six, six ways. Alafotti Faro Silva worked tirelessly at number eight and Cooper Vuna was full of running on the wing. But Wasp's solid defence proved the difference. Rob Miller, a late replacement at fly half for the injured Danny Cipriani, finished with an impressive 16-point haul for Wasps. Carl Hogside did well at the scrum but struggled badly at the line-out with five throws from hooker Jabba Bregvadze going astray. Worcester remained second from bottom in the table and their Boxing Day trip to basement boys Bristol looks like being a titanic tussle. The hosts made the worst possible start when Wasps raced through to open the scoring after just 54 seconds. A flat pass from teenage fly-half Jamie Shilcock was intercepted by centre Brendan Macken who ran unopposed from halfway to score and Rob Miller added the extras. Warriors responded and after winning a penalty at breakdown, Shilcock split the posts with his fourth minute kick. After Donker O'Callaghan was pinged at the breakdown, 
Miller kicked a penalty to put the visitors 10-3 in front. Warriors pack drove Wasps scrum backwards at their own feed and Shilcock's second penalty reduced arrears to 10-6. Wasps threatened the Worcestershire line from a 5-metre driving line-out but the host's defence held firm under intense pressure and Thomas Young was penalised for holding on. A surging run through midfield from Bryce Heem put Warriors on the front foot and only desperate defence from the visitors kept out the hosts. However, Wasps infringed and Shilcock's third kick cut the de- deficit to 10-3. Sorry, 10-9. Warriors appears to be building momentum and a sparkling run down the left from Vuna had the six-ways crowd on their feet. But prop Nick Shonnert spilled the pass with the, line tri- with the tri-line beckoning and the balance shifted. Miller slotted his second penalty after 30 minutes and added another moments later after flanker Sam Lewis was pinched at the breakdown. Shilcock replied with a 35-metre penalty five minutes before the interval to keep Warriors in touch at 16-12. But further Warriors' ill-discipline cost them as Miller slotted his fourth penalty to give Wasps a 19-12 half-time lead, which was harsh on the hosts. Warriors made a slow start to the second period which stemmed from their failure to gather the kick-off and the lively Dan Robson darted through a gaping hole for Wasps' second touchdown. Miller's conversion stretched Wasps' lead to 26-12. Shilcock had an opportunity to get Warriors back into the reckoning but the teenager pulled his penalty wide in the 54th minute. Warriors were within a whisker of crossing the whitewash in the 63rd minute after a darting run from Vuna created an opportunity. But Varo Silva's try was disallowed because Wijnand Olivia's pass was ruled forward. Worcester, with Vuna full of life, continued to dominate possession and territory, but they just could not find a way through. Warriors' desire and effort could not be called into question. But the host's frustration was compounded when Jackson Willison could not hang on to Josh Adams' pass with the line beckoning. The launch of a new book on Worcester City Police attracted a very special visitor. The great-great-great-grandson of the force's third chief constable. David Phillips, Worcester-born but now living in Barnard Castle, County Durham, travelled back to the city for the debut of author Bob Blandford's latest book, The Spike. And he brought with him a contemporary watercolour portrait of his ancestor, an ex-basket maker turned watchman, constable and later superintendent John Phillips. He was chief of the city force during nine troubled years to 1849, when he died probably of cholera. The former lecturer and probation officer, whose archivist wife is collaborating with him on a planned biography, said, the timing couldn't have been better. But it's not a view shared by ex-journalist and former City Council press officer, Mr Blandford, who said he would have killed to have a copy of that painting just six weeks earlier. The picture shows him very much as I pictured him, probably too gentle and kind-hearted, 
for a tough role like chief of police in a hard case town like Worcester, Mr Blanford said. A week before the launch, Mr Phillips contacted ex-West Mercia Inspector Bob Pooler, keeper of what remains of the force's archives, and he passed on details of the upcoming book launch to be held in the Mayor's Parlour at the Guildhall. Mr Phillips said, We had a few details of John's life, but the book fills in a lot of gaps, 38 pages on his time as chief. The question still remains, what made an apparently successful basket maker who'd married his, bo- his boss's daughter and was living and working in Broad Street give it all up to become a policeman? According to Mr Blanford's research, John Phillips was one of the first intake of 15 constables sworn in under the 1835 Municipal Corporation Act. He was later appointed sergeant under the second police chief, James Douglas. The first, tough ex-metropolitan police sergeant Henry Sharp, had been beaten up in the Cock Inn in Tybridge Street after 141 days in Worcester, and he never recovered. After the launch, Mr Blandford was able to show the visitors two key sites in John Phillips's tale the location of the original police station house and his final resting place. Both are now car parks. The former, that is the station house, in the northwestern corner of the corn market. The latter, that is his resting place, in the city's original cemetery, which is now the Tallow Hill car park. The spike... Worcester City Police, the Lives, Crimes and the Violent Times, 1833 to 1900, is available at the Tourist Information Centre, Waterstones, the Hive, the City Museum, Tudor House Museum, the Commandery and several newsagents. Signed copies are also available by emailing Bob, the Whole Picture Publishing Company, co.uk. The guardian angels who saved the life of a Worcester dad when he suffered a cardiac arrest and collapsed while out running have come forward. We reported how Dave Aidy, aged 45, of Bamborough Crescent, Warnden Villages, collapsed opposite the Barn Owl pub on Saturday, November 19th. He appealed through the Worcester News for the kind-hearted person who stopped to help him to come forward so he could thank them. And it has emerged that Mr Aidy did not have just one guardian angel, but four. Among the lifesavers were NHS manager Stuart Cannoneer and wife Debbie, a registered nurse, who had been passing in the car when they saw Mr Aidy on the ground. They were supported by Matt Salter, who initially put Mr Aidy in the recovery position, and by Carl Dunlop, who called 999. Mr Cannonier, 52, who has previously managed the A&E at Worcester Royal Hospital, performed CPR for 12 minutes, while his 48-year-old wife made sure Mr Aidy's airway was clear. Initially, the couple saw Mr Salter's motorbike and thought there had been an accident. Mr Cannonier of Warnden Villages said, I was surprised by how many people just drove past. I had to step out into the road and had some strong words with one woman to make her stop her car so that Debbie and I could help. 
When we got to him, he had been placed in the recovery position, but there was no pulse, his pupils were fixed and dilated. Your training just takes over. I did chest compressions, my wife managed his airway. We would like to meet Dave, we didn't know his name. As they worked to revive him, we kept shouting at him, Come on, mate! Mr Cannoneer said, I'm delighted he made it. We made him warm. It was a freezing cold day. His legs were covered with Mrs Cannoneer's coat to keep him warm and as the CPR continued, Mr Cannoneer described his face as going from a purple colour to a pink colour, which he said was a positive sign. It was Mr Salter who had the idea of trying to get a defibrillator from the barn owl, but they didn't have one. The couple would now like to see more defibrillators in Warnden villages. He said Matt was shaking, but at least he had the courage to stop. The people who drove past and left this guy, I can't really say what I think about them. Mr Salter, aged 38, of Brickfields, who works for Amy, part of Seven Trent Water, said he had only renewed his first aid training the week before, and he was glad he had. He said it was a relief to find out that he was OK. I was holding his hand and he was freezing cold, but because of the CPR, I could feel the warmth coming back into him. Colour started to come back into him. Mr Dunlop, who had been walking with his dog when he saw Mr Aidy lying on the ground, said, I'm very pleased Dave is OK. All of us were worried about his family, as he had no identity on him. A journalist who was one of the unsung heroes of the Worcester News for nearly half a century has died at the age of 86. Keith Innes was a prominent, popular and accomplished member of the editorial team of the Worcester Evening News and Burroughs newspapers, who worked both at Trinity House, when the publishing operation was in the heart of the city, and then at Barrows House, when it switched to new headquarters in Hilton Road in 1965. His childhood was spent with his parents in the Corn Meadow area of Worcester, and he was educated at Worcester Royal Grammar School before being called up for national service. This was spent mainly in the military police based in Gibraltar, where he rode motorcycles and escorted VIPs. On DMOB around 1950, he joined the editorial staff of the Evening News and Times at the Trinity and was, in turn, over the next four or more decades a general and sports reporter, senior reporter, theatre and entertainment critic, sub-editor, features editor, chief sub-editor and assistant editor of the Worcester Evening News, retiring in 1996. In these roles, Mr Innes would have helped significantly to chronicle the life and times of the city and county through the second half of the 20th century. Throughout his teenage and adult life, Mr Innes was an enthusiastic and keenly competitive amateur sportsman, accumulating quite a large collection of medals from his sporting exploits. He was a leading local rugby and tennis player as a young man and was a winning athlete and runner, particularly during his military service. He played cricket for Barrow's newspapers and was a talented table tennis player. But his great sporting love in later years was golf, which he played on courses around the area, particularly at Upper Sapi and Purdiswell. He leaves a widow, his wife Sue, of 40 years, 
two sons, a stepson, a stepdaughter and several grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Sadly, his daughter Sally, who was employed in the photographic department of the Worcester Evening News for some years, died at a comparatively young age. Worcestershire County Cricket Club will be going for a hat-trick after winning a second ECB Business of Cricket Award in three years. Managing Director John Graham said the New Road Club will not be resting on its laurels and is determined this year's outdoor cinema, cinema events in June and August and the concert in September, which earned Worcestershire the ECB's Business Change and Innovation Award, will be even more memorable experiences next summer. He confirmed the club's intention to repeat those events in 2017 and said several other new projects, which may or may not be feasible, are currently under consideration. A combined figure of around 4,500 people attended the screenings of The Lion King and Finding Nemo, with several thousand more attending the 12 Hours Legends concert headlined by reggae superstars UB40. Mr Graham said that his two BOCAs in three years, which, considering the counties and the people we are up against and the resources they have got, we are really proud of. It does really confirm that we are going in the right direction. The award we won was for how we changed our business and all the initiatives we put in place to try and engage with families in the county rather than just going after the usual cricket supporter. While they are incredibly important to us, and we always do try and look after that core following, it is important we get other people to the ground. We were the only we were the first county to do an outdoor cinema and it was incredibly successful. The one thing we have got is the most iconic ground in the UK. So if you do an outdoor cinema event, you probably need the backdrop to go with it. We have we have we've got that. We are very lucky and what we will be doing is investing in the production for next year and trying to take it to that next level. There will be two outdoor cinema events next year, without a shadow of a doubt. A concert will also be coming next year, but it is really difficult to get the ball rolling until you get the fixtures out. A night shelter to protect rough sleepers from the worst of the winter should have opened sooner and for longer, says a former homeless man. The shelter at Mag's Day Centre in Worcester was opened last Wednesday. Critics argue that there was a case for opening it on the Monday and Tuesday. Only three rough sleepers used the shelter. The Severe Weather Emergency Protocol, SWEP, kicks in when the weather is forecast to fall to zero degrees centigrade or below for three consecutive nights. The Worcester News has seen a document from CCP, the Homeless Prevention Contractor for Worcester City Council, that notification that the shelter was opening was only received at 3.12 on the day it opened. In the past, organisations like St Paul's Hostel, the YMCA, Mags Day Centre and the police have been notified up to 32 hours before. An email from Jane Chatterley at CCP says she'd been waiting to hear from the City Council about opening the shelter. 
Hugo Sugg, who campaigns on behalf of Rough Sleepers, said, This is disgusting, and I don't know how Rough Sleepers would have had notice that it was open and be able to get to it. Mr Sugg has been campaigning for justice for Carden following the death of Rough Sleeper Carden Banfield, who was found dead in a tent in Worcester on July the 5th. Jonathan Sutton, chief executive of St Paul's Hostel, said... I, like many people, was quite surprised and disappointed the shelter wasn't opened on Monday and Tuesday, given there was frost on the ground and it was bitingly cold. There needs to be care taken that people aren't injured or even worse on the streets. A spokesman for Worcester City Council said, A decision had to be taken relatively late in the day to open the night shelter as the weather forecast changed. CCP officers went into action as quickly as possible to ensure rough sleepers had a safe place to sleep on a very cold night and outreach work was done, was undertaken with known rough sleepers in the city to make them aware the city was open. Along with our partners, uh, I, I don't know what I said there, did I? I meant to say to make them aware the shelter was open. Along with our partners, we are now ready to put this service into action again when temperatures hit zero for three or more nights. A union secretary says penny pinching could lead to lives being put at risk as retained firefighters are relied on more to provide overnight cover at Worcestershire fire stations. Last month, the Worcester News reported on the cash-strapped Hereford and Worcester Fire Authority needing to slash £2.4 million from its spending. Stephen Gould, Secretary of the Fire Brigade's Union in Worcestershire, says the latest cost-cutting move has been a switch to a model where retained staff are relied on more for overnight cover when it was previously full-time firefighters. Retained staff are fantastic, but the public need to be aware that... They are simply not trained, Mr Gould said. <clears throat> they couldn't carry out hill rescues or live rescues on water. We believe this is penny-pinching. This is a public safety issue. But a Hereford and Worcester fire and rescue spokesman said, full-time firefighters are still continuing to provide on-call overnight cover. The spokesman explained that on occasions when there are insufficient firefighters to provide their primary response... The service uses various options, including the use of retained firefighters, as well as the use of off-duty full-time firefighters for additional payments. Area Commander Keith Chance said, This is not a new system, and policies consulted upon with the Fire Brigade, Fire Brigade Union covering options have been in place for a number of years. Our on-call Firefighters are trained to a high standard, so given the current financial situation, managers and staff have recently been reminded to make best use of public money and to use the no-cost option wherever possible. Specialist boat and rope rescue teams are available at multi multiple locations, therefore any short-term deficiency can always be covered by other specialist teams nearby. A resident was left shaking after the bomb squad blew up a dangerous chemical found in a school. The chemical was removed from RGS Worcester in Upper Tithing and destroyed in a controlled explosion by officers on Tuesday. A mother who lives in White Ladies Close said she heard a loud bang at around 3.25pm 
and her daughter saw smoke rising from Flag Meadow playing field. Police say the disposal is linked to the nationwide removal of the chemical 2,4-DNPH from chemistry labs across the country. The 43-year-old, who asked to be known only as Bianca, said, It frightened us all to death. We thought someone's house had exploded. My ex-husband worked for the RAF. We were in Northern Ireland, and I know an explosion. I was in my socks and slippers when it happened. It felt like the house shook. I'm a bit annoyed. They should have let us know. My heart is still pounding. Her 19-year-old daughter, Charlotte, said, I heard the bang. It was really loud. I spotted smoke out of my bedroom window. It was quite scary. It frightened the life out of me. I think they should have warned us. It's something that shouldn't be left until the noise happens. Keith Nash said several people in the Barbourne area heard a distinct explosion at around 3.15. An RGS Worcester spokesman said... Following notification of the potential risk associated with 2,4-DNP, which is a chemical widely used in school laboratories, RGS Worcester informed the police after seeking advice and guidance from the consortium of local authorities providing science services. The police contacted the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team, who visited the school and conducted a controlled explosion on the school sports facility at Flagbadow. Any further questions about this should be addressed to the police. A police spokesman said, There is no need for concern and is simply a routine disposal of a substance. There's no criminal or other connection. Several other controlled explosions of this substance have taken place at schools across Worcestershire. A high street bank has announced it is closing town centre branches in Morven and Droitwich. NatWest says it is closing the branches in Victoria Square, Droitwich and Church Street, Morven due to the rise of mobile and online banking. But residents are concerned about how this will affect businesses and the elderly who rely on the physical branches. The Droitwich branch will shut on June the 8th next year due to a 27% fall in transactions since 2011. The Malvern branch will close on June the 6th due to, a similar cons- due to similar concerns about declining use. NatWest has pointed to a 400% increase in mobile and online transactions between 2010 and 2015. John Williamson, who lives in Worcester, was surprised to learn about the closure of the NatWest in Droitwich. Mr Williamson, 68, said, I received a letter today saying that it will be closing on June the 8th. It's easier for me to get to Droitwich. A lot of people in Droitwich would not want to travel to Worcester. I think it's convenient for older people who don't want to travel to Worcester to use a branch. Some of them will have to change banks. A NatWest spokesman said all vulnerable customers and regular branch users have been contacted about the decisions. We know that not all of our customers are comfortable and familiar with using online or mobile banking. So we have created a new specialist task force of digital experts who will be dedicated to supporting our customers with training and support with digital skills, they added. 
NatWest says there are 13 free-to-use cash points within one mile of the Morven branch and 20 within a mile of the Droitwich branch. A random act of kindness put a smile on the faces of passers-by outside the Guild Hall. A warm hat and scarf were left on the railings outside the hall on Wednesday with a note saying, Please feel free to take this. Hope it helps. Merry Christmas. Last year, yarn bombers left 91 hand-knitted scarves on the railings outside the Guild Hall in Worcester's High Street, which were removed and given to St Paul's Hostel and Mag's Day Centre. It's not known who's behind the latest gift. Jan Freeman spotted the hat and scarf and wrote on Twitter, Cutest thing, warm things at the Guildhall, Worcester, for someone in need. I hope whoever left it has a truly Merry Christmas. A Worcester church has launched a 2017 calendar and is holding a Christmas fair to raise money for a new building. Holy Trinity and St Matthew's Church, previous church's previous 50-year-old building, affectionately known as the Drum, was demolished in November 2014 after a leaking roof and a partial ceiling collapse. A year ago, planning permission was granted for a new church on part of the site in Ronxwood, featuring meeting rooms, a cafe, main hall and 10 parking spaces. The other half of the site will become 12 Fortis living housing units, which are currently being built. Deputy Church Warden and Chairman of the Fundraising Group, Penny Welford, said fundraising for the new building was underway, but a large part of this has been used to pay for the church's ongoing costs, including renting space at Perrywood Primary School, where regular services are held. She added the aim is to start applying for grants to help see the multi-use building plan come to fruition. The Christmas Fair is being held today at Meadow Court Residential Home in Darwin Avenue. It will take place between 11am and 2pm and include homemade cakes, Christmas gifts, cards, crafts, books, games, a lucky dip, a raffle and refreshments. Earlier this year, organisers set a competition to find 12 photographs for the aspects of Worcester calendar and the best pictures of scenes from across the city were selected by organisers. The calendar, which is A5 size, folding out to A4, is on sale for £4 at various locations, including Old St Martin's in the Corn Market, the Cathedral Shop, the Tourist Information Centre at the Guildhall, and Newtown Post Office. They're also available by emailing wendypenny.welford at gmail.com. Anyone interested in supporting the fundraising initiative is also encouraged to email. Generous shoppers gave Worcester Food Bank an early Christmas present by handing over more than five tonnes of food and festive goodies during a three-day supermarket collection. Volunteers at the Tesco stores in St Peter's and Warnden were swamped with donations of urgently needed food and toiletries. They also filled the trolleys with festive favourites like mince pies and cake that will bring joy to hundreds of hungry food bank clients at Christmas. A team of Tesco staff will now help food bank volunteers sort through the 400 crate loads of stock 
that will provide about 5,000 meals to people who cannot afford to feed themselves in Worcester this winter. Graham Lucas, Worcester Food Bank manager, said, We'd like to say thank you to everyone who supported us. The spirit of generosity in this city is quite extraordinary. Once again, we had some people donating entire trolley loads of items. I also love the story of one man who filled up three carrier bags at the checkout before removing his sandwiches and handing over everything else to our volunteers. The donations will help to replenish the charity's stock levels as it battles to keep up with a growing number of referrals for emergency food, caused largely by benefit delays and low incomes. Mr Lucas also praised the Team Veti volunteers who gave up their time to hand out food bank shopping lists to customers, as well as the warm welcome and support of Tesco staff at the stores. The Bishop of Worcester was among pilgrims who travelled to the Holy Land for a groundbreaking visit. The Bishop, the Right Reverend Dr John Inge, and the Archbishop of Birmingham, the Most Reverend Bernard Longley, led a unified group of both Anglican and Catholic pilgrims for the first ecumenical pilgrimage. Bishop John said, It was a life-changing experience. I am grateful to those who had planned the trip and to the pilgrims themselves, who very quickly became a unified group. The Holy Spirit was at work from the moment that we got onto the coach in Worcester on our way to Heathrow. From that moment, our separate denominations didn't seem to matter. We were just pilgrims travelling together. Bishop John led 27 others, including six priests, while Archbishop Longley led 28, including three priests, two deacons and a nun for the 10-day trip at the beginning of November. A single pilgrimage booklet was produced for the group, and Eucharist and Mass were celebrated in the format of each communion alternately, with hymns and chants sung which spanned both traditions. The group visited 58 places across the Holy Land, including Bethlehem, Nazareth, the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee. They also saw charitable projects supported by Friends of the Holy Land and McCabe Education Trust, School of Joy and St Martha's House, and met local Christians. Archbishop Longley said, Our task now is to build on what we have started and encourage other dioceses of the two churches in England and Wales to experience similar joint pilgrimage to the Holy Land. As co-chairman of the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission, I have been privileged to be involved in ten days of worship and prayer as pilgrims together to the land of our Saviour's birth, work, death and resurrection. Our time together as the body of Christ has given me enormous encouragement in my desire to work for Christian unity. An ecumenical pilgrimage by candlelight will take place at Worcester Cathedral in January. Developers looking to build a rival Worcestershire Parkway say they will submit a planning application in January. Norton Parkway Developments, which has been embroiled in a bitter dispute with Worcestershire County Council, has revealed how its own proposals are nearly complete. A dossier of information will now be handed to planning officers early in the new year, 
which leaves County Hall in a potentially awkward position with its own scheme. A public inquiry due to take place earlier this year was abandoned after the council struck a deal with a private Norton landowner to take control of the land needed for the development and to press ahead. But the land grab row means that the council's own Worcestershire Parkway scheme has been delayed around 10 months and will not be complete until March 2018 instead of May 2017 as originally envisaged. The cost of the council's scheme was originally put at about £22 million and that has now risen, although the difference is being kept confidential for now. It will be part funded by a £2.5 million government grant as well as a planned loan which will be paid off via car parking fees. Norton Parkway Developments, which still owns a significant chunk of land next to the council's 14-acre section of the site, says it's weeks away from handing its planning application in. Under its alternative vision, it would use the same station platforms due to be constructed under the council scheme, but the other facilities like an office and a station ticket office would be situated on the firm's private land. A spokesman for the company said, We will submit our planning application early in the new year for our own Worcestershire Parkway development. We can deliver our scheme at no cost to the taxpayer. Worcestershire Parkway is one of the County Council's flagship regeneration projects. The development includes a single platform on the Cotswold Line, two platforms on the Birmingham-Bristol Line, toilets, a booking office and a 500-space car park. A parkway railway station is one that primarily primarily serves a park and ride interchange rather than a village, town or city. Calls are growing for Worcester's Pitmaston Park to be protected from a controversial school land grab. The Worcester News revealed how Pitmaston Primary School wants to section off a large section of the popular site and create a new facility for its pupils. But Worcestershire County Council is being urged to block the bid with a St John's councillor now saying it would be a tragedy. Councillor Richard Uddle said, Pitmaston Park is used by hundreds of people on a daily basis. It's a very popular local park. I see people playing sport, exercising, children climbing trees and people walking dogs. In the summer, it is a grassed play area for children. But all this could be lost. It would be a tragedy for St John's and the community. I know children who attend the school need a safe place for sport, but it need not be at the expense of the wider community. By all means, change the surface and make a proper football pitch, but let people in the community use it. Do not build the fence to keep people out. Labour Party activist Dan Walton, who is trying to get elected in the ward at County Hall next year, has also joined in the criticism. We need to retain open space in Worcester, and between St John's and Bedwardine, open spaces are really at a premium, he said. This is why I'm shocked. It shouldn't be that a county council-owned property is fenced off exclusively for school use. Eight people have written in support of the plans, but more than 30 have objected. The school has declined to comment so far, but its plans include a sports pitch and soft play area for pupils. 
Those backing the scheme say a dual public and pupil use of a section of the park is unrealistic, with some children scared of dogs while they do PE lessons and safety concerns. The planning application is open for comments until Tuesday, December the 13th. An angry woman is calling for a ban on lorries on part of a Worcester road after her car was written off. Penny Young, aged 62, from Northwick, believes her car was hit by a lorry on Wilds Lane near the junction of Midland Road. Now she is calling for the road to be closed off to lorries from the junction with Midland Road to the city centre. The road is used by lorries to access businesses on the Perrywood Trading Estate. She said... I can't see why HGVs need to go down to the city end of Wilds Lane at all. Even quite small vehicles struggle to get between the parked cars at times. It's bad enough at the other end of Wilds Lane. She said, the crash, it must have been something quite big. The driver's side front wing was ripped apart, the headlights smashed, a hole made in the driver's side door and a piece being knocked out of the wing mirror. The incident was reported to the police, but without a vehicle registration number, they can do nothing. A taxi driver told her it had happened at about 1.40pm, and he thought a sand and gravel lorry had hit her car. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman said, Wilds Lane provides essential access to residences and businesses, so HGV usage is unavoidable. We are aware that the width of the road, coupled with the presence of parked vehicles, can sometimes make access for larger vehicles difficult. We can review the situation, but due to a lack of off-street car parking, most measures would result in a significant reduction in the number of parking spaces for residents. Anyone with details about the crash can call police on 101, quoting incident number 382. And it happened on Thursday, December the 1st. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. Uh, So I need to thank Brian Wheelwright, um, Carol Hartle, who's been busy with the admin this afternoon, and my fellow readers, Sally and Ian Rowe, and Audrey Luxton, and copying team Eileen and Brian Wheelwright and Audrey Luxton. And so it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off. And on behalf of us all, can I wish you the joy and peace of Christmas. And we'll be with you next year. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.